0: Adam Crowley, You don't know any of the lyrics? There are no lyrics. <laughs> but if I had to mix them up, I would probably go with, Oh, the oh, Chechnya, I love this freaking country. The Adam Crowley Show. Love that show. On ESPN Pittsburgh. You found the Crowley Show, not Savern on Sports. We have not flipped our lineup around today. It's just me. Four one two nine two 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 eight seven four is the number to call, or you can join the cast of dozens and follow me on Twitter at underscore Adam Crowley. Tell your kids, tell your wife, we're doing radio up in here. Shirtless Tom, beyond the glass. You can check him out on Twitter at Shirtless Tom nine seventy. It's at Button Pusher nine seventy. Why do I always do that? I don't know. That's weird. You don't want people to follow me. Well, it's cuz you don't have your real name on there. It's just Shirtless Tom. I mean, that is That's my real name. That is you, but Shirtless Tom and Button Pusher 970 are both monikers as far as I'm concerned. That's like me walking into a bar and they be like, "Hey, what's your name?" I'd be like, underscore "_Adam Crowley." That ain't right, man. That ain't right. Wait, you don't introduce yourself to people with your Twitter handle? I usually give my Twitter handle Call and then I give the, the phone number. 1000 followers. When I met my wife's family, I walked in and said, Hey, nice to meet you. My name is at underscore Adam Crowley. You can give me a call at 412-922-2874. Make sure to check me out on facebook.com backslash Crowley show. Yeah, it's not how that happened, Tom. When you walked in to meet Emma's parents, were you wearing a shirt? No. And did you say, hello, I'm button pusher 970? I didn't have that handle yet. Oh, so you just said, hey, I'm shirtless, Dom. Hey, I'm shirtless. Okay, I get that. That's fine. I apologize, then. That is that is me just not understanding the tenor and the tone. I apologize wholeheartedly. The fake news movement's coming to sports. i will get to that in a few minutes. Some of the leftovers from the last segment, though, of what I'm looking for tonight. Can Damon Patterson make this team? Absolutely he can, baby. He had a tremendous showing in... Game number one, he's the best player on the field. But Eli Rogers being on the IR really opened a door for him. Because if Eli Rogers was healthy and Eli Rogers was practicing, we know what he can do in this league. I think he'd make that team. But now he'll be on IR through the first six weeks, and you see what happens after that. If you need him, you've got him. If not, maybe you got Damon Patterson. You got Tucker, I like his chances of making it, and Darius hayward Bay is definitely going to be on this football team. People don't like Darius hayward Bay. he can't catch the ball, no, he can't, but he's still the fastest player on the team, according to the GPS monitor that was in his helmet last year, and he's going to play special teams and he brings that leadership, and look, I don't love the leadership angle, but the Steelers buy into it, so he'll be around. The other thing to look for tonight is something that we saw finally at the end of training camp. Will Cam Sutton return punts? And if he does, can he finally be the dude to unseat Antonio Brown? They're trying to get somebody else to do it. Eli Rogers did it a bit last year and was so not good at it that they benched him. They want somebody else to do it. They want another guy to take those hits but they want that guy to be a legit playmaker. And if the other player's not going to be anywhere near as good as Antonio Brown at the punt returns, then why put him out there to begin with? It's still a position on the football field, and while I don't want the 53rd guy or the 47th guy on a roster hurting Antonio Brown, tackling him on special teams, I also understand the value of having a good punt returner back there. So if Cam Sutton can do it, you find a way... To let him do it. And Tomlin has historically not really wanted defensive players to be that guy, but maybe that's because they haven't had a good enough defensive player who was capable. Cam Sutton could do it. Cam Sutton was one of the best in the country at the University of Tennessee. F them, by the way, they're gonna lose to West Virginia on September first. Four one two 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 eight seven four. That's the number that I give to people after I introduce myself as underscore Adam Crowley, which incidentally is my Twitter handle. The fake news movement's coming to sports, baby. It's coming to sports. Damn president of the United States setting that trend. Coming to sports. Antonio Brown said Ed Bouchette is lying. Why would Ed lie? A B was and is fine, but that doesn't mean that he couldn't have been favoring his leg coming off the field. Why would Ed lie about that? What does Ed have to gain? I've seen some on Twitter defend Antonio Brown, and that's the problem, isn't it? You believe who you want to believe, you don't believe the information. The Trumpsters, they believe that the news media is out to get Donald Trump because they don't like the things being reported about Donald Trump. And the libs, they believe everything that's being reported is true because they don't like Donald Trump. The news media, though, is supposed to be unbiased, and I think for the large part is. Not all of it, but it is. As far as the sports media, Ed has no reason to lie about Antonio Brown. He doesn't care about retweets. Trust me, I know Ed not well, but I know him. He did not care about retweets. He's old school. He's one of those old crusty Hall of Fame voters. He's in the Hall of Fame. You think he cares about retweets? I'm sure he cares about clicks on his stories, but I don't think he cares about retweets. So he has no reason to lie about putting that out there. But people believed be because that was the dude they wanted to believe in. Here's why the media is important. Here's why journalism is important, even in sports. DJ Durkin and his assistants at the University of Maryland are being held accountable because a player died at one of their practices. But we've found out now that it wasn't just an accident. This player didn't have a heart condition. This player didn't have anything going on up in the brain. There were no grand mal seizures taking place in the football field. No, the player died because of improper treatment, DJ Durkin has been accused of bullying to coach. He bullies these players into motivation. That's his style. And the player who passed away, died of a heat stroke. Temperature was 105. Give the guy water. Get him in the shade. Put some ice on him, Get that temperature down. Do everything you can to help. And we've now found out that Maryland had wrongdoing because of Journalism. Brett McMurphy wrote the Urban Meyer-Zach Smith story. Why? Because that's his job. Well, it's actually not. No, he's not getting paid for that. He works for Facebook. Oh, wait, no one works for Facebook in that regard. He posted the story on Facebook because that's the only way he could get it out to the millions of people who have now consumed it. He didn't do so because he was getting paid for it. He didn't do so to get the clicks. He did so because that's vigilante journalism, baby. That is pure. Zach Smith, after 2009, should never have been hired again. Yet Urban Meyer hired him again in 2011, and he continued to beat his wife, allegedly. So Urban Meyer is hiring terrible people to mentor kids, college football players, and that comes out, why? Because of journalism, not biased journalism. Not, oh, Brett McMurphy hates Ohio State journalism. No, journalism for the sake of journalism. Now, maybe, yeah, he's trying to use it to get back in the good graces of ESPN. Maybe he's doing it to get hired by someone else. Fine, but he's a journalist at heart, and journalism got that story out there. Journalism is important in the real world and in sports. So when a guy like A.B. says Ed's lying, don't take it at face value. Consider why Antonio Brown would want that not to be be the case. He just had that quad injury. He was being shipped back and forth from Pittsburgh to St. Vincent, from St. Vincent back to Pittsburgh. They're looking at it, and he's trying to downplay the significance of the injury. Ed Bouchette was merely reporting what the hell he saw, which is Ed Bouchette's job. Ed Bouchette wouldn't make that up. And I think that there's an important lesson to be learned here that just because an athlete says something isn't true, just because an athlete says something was taken out of context, just because an athlete says, no, 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 it's the way I say it, not the way you're saying it, doesn't mean you need to take them at face value. They're trying to protect their reputation. Journalists are trying to do their job. And I have said in the past that I do think there's a big difference between sports writers and sports journalists. There is. People who go to the games and give the box score and write a game story. That, to me, is a sports writer. That's not journalism, per se. The guy who goes the extra mile, the guy who's in there talking to players, getting off-the-record quotes, on-the-record quotes, talking to sources, that guy, to me, is a sports journalist. There's a difference. It's all important. But journalism... Is important because it's got the greater good in mind. That's what it's about, man. People are trying to hold Trump accountable not because they want to look good, most of them, but because they want to hold the president of the United States accountable. That's why journalism is the fourth state. Well, that's what it's about, keeping the government accountable and keeping people who are in power accountable. Consider the Ohio State situation. Consider Penn State. Consider Baylor. Consider Michigan State. Journalism. Journalism brought the Larry Nassar things to light. If they hadn't, would he still be raping young women? Don't be so quick to dismiss everything as hashtag fake news. Here's what the president said today on Twitter.com. Quote, the fake news media is the opposition party. It's very bad for our great country, but we are winning. End quote. That's so dangerous. When you don't trust the people who are trying to inform you, you're in trouble. When we in high school would go on websites, they'd always tell you, consider the source. If I'm writing a paper, consider the source. Are you going to a .gov? Are you... Getting this information from the organization itself or someone reporting on the organization? Because an organization is going to put out what they want to put out there. They're going to do their own PR spin, right? You want to try to find it from a third party, someone who's done their homework, someone who's dug. Consider the source. What do they have to prove? What do they have to gain? One thing did bother me, a lot of things have bothered me, but one thing in particular stuck out to me about the D.J. Durkin situation. Matt Canada, Pitt's former offensive coordinator, is the interim coach there. And there was an impromptu, I suppose, press conference at the first practice that Maryland's had publicly since their president came out and said that we accept moral and legal responsibility. And Matt Canada's wearing this big-ass goofy hat with the Maryland logo on the front, he's smiling from ear to ear. Oh, we hope D, we hope Coach Dirk's okay. We hope, we hope to get him back soon. What? What? And in the background, there's tents. With shade, Gatorades, those fans that spray water. Why? To show that all these players are getting proper treatment now. Total propaganda. If I'm the University of Maryland, I stand that son of a bitch up in front of one of them big old boards with the logo all over it. Make it look official. I put him in a suit, and I'd have a little bit of a somber tone. Somber-er. Made that word up. He was wearing a sombrero. Sombrero. I guess this isn't a somber enough tone for me. But it didn't strike me as them getting the picture. And journalism needs to keep them accountable. Make sure it never happens again. No kid should ever, in a major college, die of a heat stroke. They've got the resources, for God's sakes. They make millions of flipping millions of dollars every single year. It's the Big Ten! No kid should be dying of heat stroke. They shouldn't be propagandizing it now. They should be making sure it never happens again, and Durkin should be fired. John Ledger has a new website. It's badass. I've been on it almost every day since it's come out. I'm i sure it's going to go subscription at some point, but maybe not. I'll ask him about that. And he's got a lot of thoughts on the DJ Durkin situation and the horrific tragedy that happened at the University of Maryland. That and the Steelers' preseason game tonight. It's tough to weave in and out of those topics, especially when you're a goofy, smarmy-ass jack wagon like me. It's a Crowley show. The Adam Crowley Show.
1: Are you putting me in a position to pull a Phil Kessel
0: or something like that right now? Is that what you're saying? I think you did pull a Phil Kessel, and now we're calling you on it like we're calling Dunlap, baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Am I on the
1: air right now? Yeah, you're on the air. Oh, I love it. That's
0: awesome. Uh, Yeah. Adam Crowley on ESPN Pittsburgh. Steelers preseason game number two is tonight. You can catch it right here on ESPN Pittsburgh, 970 AM, 106.3 FM in Allegheny County. Joining us now to discuss that and the tragedy at the University of Maryland is our buddy John Ledger. Before we get into any of that stuff, John, I love the new site, man. How are things going there, and how excited are you to have the opportunity?
1: Oh man! It's the first, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. And second, yeah, I mean it's it's an aw- it's an awesome opportunity. It's a blast. We really feel like the NFL draft is kind of not an untouched area, but one place that not, uh, not one site really does the whole thing comprehensively well um, on a large scale. And so we're just trying to be the first to do that and offer things on multiple platforms. And it's been great. We're about 11 days old over at the draft and uh, a lot of great content, a lot of great stuff working with great people. Uh, the podcasts are up and running on there too as well, but really so many features still to go so many things that we're still planning on launching uh, between now and when draft season really kicks off and December, you know, beginning of January, and so uh, we're really excited about it. It's, it's been a great opportunity, and I'm looking forward to continuing to make it great for everybody who loves the draft.
0: Well, you know what, John? I look at it as you guys kind of fighting back, because people go to their same two guys, it seems like, same three guys for their draft analysis, and there are a lot of people out there that see the game differently that know just as much about how to scout players and how to look at the tape, and I think that you guys are have separated yourselves, and like I said, I've, I've been on there. I've been looking at the college football things that you've been putting up the last couple of days, Alabama and Georgia, and um, it really is fabulous.
1: Thank you. We really appreciate it. We think we think it's going to fill in a, a, a void that people really, really enjoy and they can't get enough of. And so far, you know, that's kind of been our experience at the site 10 days in, but we'll see where it goes.
0: John, I don't really know how to do a transition here. Uh, I'm the slappy radio host, so – Uh, There's no easy way to go into this, but uh, what happened at the University of Maryland? I I thought you did a really good job of explaining what football coaches should be and how they should coach the game as opposed to the way that things have reportedly gone down in Maryland.
1: Yeah, unfortunately, I think football coaching has really, on a lot of levels, high school and college especially, and for some personalities you see in the NFL as well, I think it's really become kind of an outlet for insecure, you know, um, your traditional uh, male-dominated type of sports and type of mindset, um, and it's become kind of an outlet for the insecurities of people who've been raised and sometimes, uh, you know, have occupations in those types of cultures. You know, I think that it's really become a big outlet for that, for them to kind of project their own insecurities onto kids and to be able to take control of situations, to be able to command people and to get a thrill kind of from that. I think that a lot of coaches look at it that way. They look at it as an opportunity to boost themselves and their own ego, and that often includes running other people down. And, you know, I've seen it multiple times, and in a lot of cases these guys aren't even – bad people per se, they're just kind of broken people, you know, these coaches, and they they are given these opportunities by people for high school levels, oftentimes in the community, by people who see them as, you know, they were once a great athlete. Well, they're not anymore, and and that was where a lot of their identity and kind of their purpose in life was caught up in. So, in order to compensate for that, a lot of the time, people need something else. Those people need something else, and so a lot of the time it does, it comes in the form of coaching uh, because it's something they know, but something they know as and they were a player that did it and to coaches to teach and to love and to care for and to all those things and those aren't things that really came in the wheelhouse of being good at football when they were good at football so it becomes kind of okay all I know how to do is to yell and scream at this point because I've never taught anyone I've never cared you know things on that level anyway so I think a lot of coaches struggle to relate to their players in that way and they don't really take their role seriously in that way and you know, they see it as a disciplinary role and maybe they were even coached that way or maybe they were parented that way. And so that's kind of all they know and they resort back to it. And I just think, you know, we need to as a society be so careful about the people we're putting in these positions and these roles because it's such an important and a unique opportunity. You know, kids are going to look up to and admire and respect coaches in a way that, especially as they go through the teenage stage and even the college phase of figuring out who they are as people. there's going to be stuff that they're going to want to rely on those relationships with those coaches more than they will their own parents at some time. So I just think it's a really important relationship. It's an important role. uh, When people have the opportunity to fulfill it, they should take it seriously from multiple angles. And it can't be a role where, Someone is using their position to wield authority or to wield power and getting off or getting a thrill on that because I've seen that so many different places where I've been as a player and as a coach working for people who I thought I could describe in that way. And so it's it's dangerous. It can be a dangerous situation when uh, a coach doesn't have the responsibility and the understanding of what it looks like to care for kids, uh, especially at the ages of high school and college, which are such formative years.
0: Yeah, John, I think that's very well said. And I've said this before, that just because you're a good defensive coordinator doesn't mean that you would be a good head coach. And just because you were a good football player doesn't mean that you're going to be a good coach. In order to be a good coach, I think you need to have parenting skills more than just, oh, I know how to teach this guy to run a route or what the technique of rushing the passer is going to be.
1: Right, and it doesn't mean that you can't be strict and there can't be rules and there can't be a culture that – adheres to certain principles, I absolutely believe in that. I believe in structure. I believe in all those kind of things. I also believe in him, and I love the way that Mike Tomlin coaches and that he lets his players be themselves. You know, He lets his coaches be themselves. He doesn't ask them to change and be exactly what he wants them to be and fit this tight mold. There are standards, sure, but at the end of the day, he's not wielding power just to wield power. He's making sure it's an environment that's constructive for players to be able to grow, to challenge each other, to become their best, and that is a priority for him. And you hear that from undrafted guys who come in there on, you know, those small little deals that they give out, and it's like you got to earn it. And even guys who are in tryouts, you know, to make the 90-man, you know, you hear it from those guys talking about Tomlin, saying, like, he went up to them, he made them feel like they had a chance and believed in them. And, you know, that's what a coach does. You know, that's, that's why I do, like, even though I have issues with certain things Tomlin does from time to time is a As a strategist, I I think that as a leader of men, he really understands that part of it, and I think that that's so important, and I wish more coaches kind of fed off of his example.
0: This transition, oh, damn it. I was going to say this transition much easier than the last one, but I guess not. I flubbed it up. (laughs) (laughs) Mike Mike Tomlin's scheme. We've been hearing a lot about this dollar defense. And I was down at camp, and you saw it a lot. The last two-minute drill of training camp, in fact, it was... 100% 100% the dollar defense with seven defensive backs for the Pittsburgh Steelers. How do you realistically see them using it? And how much should they consider just getting your best 11 guys on the field as opposed to playing the traditional way that they've played of late?
1: Man, it's it's an interesting question because seven defensive backs, we are really taking it to a new level in terms of the way that the NFL is kind of projecting and moving in that direction. And who knows, maybe they just want to be prepared for those types of offenses, those types of schemes, different things in New England to throw at them. I mean, I think that's always in the back of your mind. I mean, it can't be a heavily utilized package, I would not think. I mean, you know, Pittsburgh has been known to do some odd things with their fronts, especially in recent years under Keith Butler I don't know whether that was Tomlin's influence after the left or it was Butler's. It's really hard to get a lot of transparency on that, so it is a little bit difficult to know who to kind of blame because most of those haven't worked. Most of those different fronts that they're trying to use, the 4-3 under front where they stand up somebody in the line of scrimmage, uh, where they bump uh, Ciccolo or Dupree or somebody off the ball. You know, those have really, really failed. And they've kind of – they needed to throw them out. The first year they tried them early on in the season, and they weren't working and so they scrapped them and didn't really run them the rest of the year the first year under parlor. Then they brought them back and just continued to use them even though they didn't work last year. So it's it's been frustrating to see, like, some of the things they've tried to do. They run a lot of stunts and twists up front with their linemen. So, you know, all this to kind of say the Steelers, this is kind of their newest thing. And not a lot of it's had success, and I just wonder if the talent might be there in some ways, you know, less so this year maybe because of the linebacker play being a concern. Uh, But I I think the scheme sometimes confuses players, and you heard James Harrison talk about that not long ago, too. I think he was on the Coward Show and he basically said, you know, the reality is that, like, players, some guys on the defense were running one defense, and other guys were running another defense, and there was just a lot of confusion. And, man, that just can't happen at the NFL level. So, I like the idea of seven defensive backs uh, in some ways because the Steelers linebackers are, I believe, among the worst in the league, you know, as a starting unit. And so I understand getting one or multiple of them off the field. The problem becomes, okay, how do you get home as the pass rush unit? Are you blitzing? defensive backs on a regular basis, which has had success for the Steelers. That's been one of the great things that Keith Ball has really brought to the defense. Um, so is that going to be an issue? For And then if so, there's a lot of moving pieces to that. Somebody has to pick up the guy that was supposed to block him and make sure he's covered so he gets a free release. Somebody has to take the coverage assignment that he was going to have. You're probably dropping one of your edges. There's a lot of moving pieces. I think, in principle, it's an interesting idea that has potential but you're talking about a brand-new type of thing. A lot of communication is needed, a lot of leadership. And if you're taking Vince Williams or one of your linebackers, you're normally calling the defense off the field. That then becomes concern with guys like Sean Davis and Morgan Burnett to being a veteran but new to the Steelers, who is going to make those calls, who is going to make sure everybody's on the same page.
0: John Ledger joins us here on the Crowley Show. Uh, make sure to check out uh, his website. He's the Chief Operating Officer and Senior NFL Draft Analyst at DraftNetwork, LLC, draftnetwork.com. In that vein, Terrell Edmonds, I don't know what your thoughts were on him whenever he came out and where the Steelers took him. I, I want to get your thoughts on what he was then because now everything I'm hearing, all the whispers that I'm getting in the ears from from people in the know are that They can't take him off the field. He's been that good, and from what I've seen of him, I feel the same way, too. So what did you think of him before, and uh, did you see him at camp, and did you see him uh, at all in preseason game number one?
1: Yeah, before the draft, I actually had a fourth-round grade on him, so I was not very high on him at all. Um, So I will be surprised if it ends up being a great pick for them. You know, a lot of blown coverages, a lot of mistakes, a lot of missed tackles. Um, A lot of missteps in man coverage, just a lot of technical and mental flaws with him, which gave me a lot of concern for any defense, but especially one that's (laughs) developed raw talent as poorly as Pittsburgh in the secondary and has as many of those same issues already in the secondary. So, to me, it was a very Steelers-esque pick. Not a lot of those guys have worked out so far in the secondary. We're still waiting for the raw athletic potential of Sean Davis. We're still waiting waiting for that for Artie Burns. You can name a bunch of guys before them too. You know, we're waiting for those kind of players to develop in Pittsburgh. That's not really been something that's happened, something that they've done well. So to me, I think you have to take what you do well and you have to assess it and you have to go get some more NFL-ready guys. You can, you know, extend that kind of to, you know, players like Bud Dupree and how that hasn't really developed in terms of him being a great 1v1 pass rusher. And, you know, Ryan Shazier when he was here, it took a couple of years. He really did kind of get there, though. You know, he did become that player. He was one that's it's a, it's a positive example. We'll see with T.J. Watt, another pretty raw guy. Um, but th- So there's been some minor examples, but on a major scale, those raw players haven't worked out for him. So I was really concerned about Edmonds. I also heard good things. Um, I was down there one day. Uh, he looked very athletic. He got beat a couple times when I was there. Um, I think that he looks like he better than he did in college tape, which is, you know, really encouraging. Obviously Tom Bradley being there, you know, to me, it was a vote of confidence in Bradley and saying, okay, we believe that, you know, Scarlett LA couldn't get it done, but we think you can get it done in terms of developing these types of players. And I'm sure Bradley liked uh, Edmonds as well. So, you know, athletically, size-wise, character-wise, I think there's a ton of potential there. It's the kind of guy that the Steelers have taken chances on. You know, it's exactly the kind of player they've been drafting in, especially in the first round over the last couple of years. They just need this one to work out, don't they? I mean, Sean oh, yeah. Davis, already we've seen his limitations. He's not going to be a great man coverage option. They're trying him at free safety. That experiment went pretty poorly in the Eagles game. But I don't know that they have much choice. You know, Morgan Burnett can play there, but it's basically like putting Mike Mitchell back there. You're not going to get much ball production, and that's really what they wanted. That's why I thought they made the move is they needed turnovers, and that wasn't Mitchell's game. So they need Edmonds to be maybe that kind of guy, but in the preseason game, you know, they really just played him close to the line of scrimmage in the box, in the slot, a little bit of deep work and, like, two, two high looks and covered two stuff. But that was really it. So he really wasn't challenged a lot. Very simple concepts. So maybe they're trying to keep things really simple for him as a rookie. You know, used in that role, I think he'll be okay because it really to a little, a lot of flat coverage and you know a lot of weak side linebacker type responsibilities in the box. And that really plays in his strengths and keep things simple and lets him just kind of be an athlete in space. The problem is it doesn't fix their issue at free safety, and that was really what they needed. I thought going into the draft, so they must believe Sean Davis can be that guy. I have big concerns about whether Sean Davis can be that guy.
0: Last thing here for you, John, we've got about a minute. Mason Rudolph, what are your thoughts on him?
1: Yeah, coming out, I thought, you know, fourth round, late third round type of guy because of the importance of the position. I was okay with the range and the draft of where he ended up going. I just didn't – I wouldn't have done it for the Steelers. You know, just statistically speaking, if you look across the league since 2000, I think you've had six start, six quarterbacks that have been drafted not in the first – picks, so including those first early picks in the second round, that have gone on to be what most people, what anyone really would consult, called franchise-caliber quarterback, and had a winning record. So there's just really no point in taking a quarterback to eventually be your franchise guy. Not a Landon Jones type to be your backup. That's good. But a quarterback that can eventually be your franchise guy, if that's your target on a quarterback, you better take him in the top 40 picks. Statistically speaking, the numbers are just terrible when you take one after that. And I think Rudolph can be okay, but I don't think he can ever be the type of guy Pittsburgh really needs. So honestly, I'd rather be bad for a year, pick high, and take a quarterback with a better chance of hitting.
0: DraftNetwork.com, great stuff, John, as always, man. Uh, And about the serious stuff, too, so really appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, Adam. I appreciate it.
0: Thank you. There he goes, John Ledger. And that website really is badass. It's great. And they're doing a lot of college stuff, too, and evaluating it through the pro lens, which college teams are best based on the talent that they have. So a team like Tennessee might look better than a team like West Virginia. Disagree wholeheartedly, but you know what I'm saying. It's an awesome slant, and I think they're doing a really good job over there. Coming up next, what to watch for tonight, I'll tell you. Again, there's a lot of things. It's been the theme of the show Plus, hottest take of the day. Other crap. Three stars of the show. It's ESPN Pittsburgh. The Adam Crowley Show. Sidney Crosby got rubbed by the glove on PowerPoint. And they're, did I say rub? You guys looked at each other like I said rubbed. And then you added by the glove. Oh, he got rubbed by the glove. You're going to have to yank that one, Tom. Please go ahead and pull that for me. Adam Crowley on ESPN Pittsburgh. I guess I just can't talk anymore. Braden tweets at underscore Adam Crowley. Did you just say Allegheny County? Yeah, I did say that in the last segment. I was hoping nobody noticed. Also, I was trying to slide in a seamless transition in the midst of the John Ledyard interview, and I couldn't even say transition. I'm transitioning. I, I mean, what I what I'm what I'm trying to say is I'm transitioning to be Mac in studio. I think it's awesome that. You were trying to throw yourself a compliment for how good your transition was going to be before the transition even happened, and then you flubbed up the actual word, transition. That, honestly, spin zone that takes skill. Maybe that was a little meta of you. Maybe you did that on purpose. Our show can be really good. It can also be really good bad. When we're bad, it's funny, and we take pride in that. Not a lot of shows can be that way. Too many shows take themselves too seriously. And when they say wrong things, they issue corrections, or when they slip up, they act as if they're all flustered. No, I don't care if I sound like an ass from time to time. It happens. It's okay. I'll be aight, And you'll be better off for listening. Steelers play tonight. Pre-game show starts in 15 minutes here on ESPN Pittsburgh. So I'm out of here, but first, it's time for the hottest take of the day. It's time for the hottest take of the day. (laughs) Day, day, day. Summer sucks. Ball sweat, sunburn, bad baseball, swamp ass. The way that it smells outside next to my door where I throw all my doggy poop bags. I could live without summer. Give me year-long fall. Give me mid-50s. Give me high 40s. Let me wear myself a flannel and some skinny jeans. You know what fall has that summer don't? Ball. College football. National Football League football. The start of hockey. Good baseball. The fall is so superior to the summer. Especially around here. Some around here gets just a tad too humid for me. Which leads to the ball sweat. And the swamp ass. And the sunburn. And of course, as I mentioned, there is bad baseball. Baseball's so much better when you whittle down the teams. When you get rid of all the bad teams like the Twins and the Pirates and the Mets. And you only allow the good ones to play. Playoff baseball's spectacular. But we sit through 162... Games for 30 teams when half of them are trash. There are good things about summer, I suppose, but, you know, polio started in the summertime. Public pools. There's always a kid pooping. I ain't into that. I'm ready. It's time. I'm good. Put a flannel on me. Let me drink some pumpkin spiced beer. My wife will have the lattes. I'll go to the pumpkin patch. You can drink cider. Oh, it's the best. Don't need you, summer. Autumn is here. That's the hottest take of the day. Woo! Other crap. Honolulu came in first place for the most livable city in the United States. Pittsburgh came in second. But we got six rings, yo. Woo! Other crap. Steelers taking on the Cheeseheads tonight. I hope Rudolph plays Gouda. Woo! Other crap. I'm just worried that the Packers are going to shred us. Woo! Other crap. Aaron Rodgers is a monster. Woo! Other crap. Man, if Josh Jobs throws an interception, I'm going to be feeling so blue. Woo! Other crap. Yeah, I hope Dobbs looks sharp tonight. Woo! Other crap. If not, I'm gonna throw a feta. Woo! Other crap! Ben Lindberger isn't playing. Woo! Other crap. Havarti? Woo! Other crap. It's time for the three stars of the show. Whoa, 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 whoa. How many days has it been since Pit Basketball won a conference game? Oh, 631. Thank you. Thank you for keeping me accountable. Now it's time for the three stars of the show. Tonight's third star of the show, Josh Dobbs. Yeah, I mean, in the end, with
1: all respect to him, he might be better off being an aerospace engineer than quarterback. (laughs) You know, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I would take being an aerospace engineer over a football analyst,
0: perhaps. One of my favorite things about Williamson is that if you laugh, he laughs every time. If you laugh, he laughs every single time. He's a joyful guy. He is. Second star? Tonight, second star of the show, August 16th. It's coincidence. And guess what? All y'all listening to this show, every last one of you, every single person, one day will die. And there's a chance that you'll die on August 16th. And if you do, no one's going to care. Do you want that? Do you want that? No. Then let's stop saying that August 16th is a day that will live in infamy. And tonight's first star of the show, my pill pill. I say it all the time, but in college, I brought my blankie. I brought my pill pill. My pillow and blank that I grew up with. And when you're having a bad day, instead of going to beer first semester, I'm rubbing down my pill pill. Sounds dirty. I've got my blankie there. Okay, that's even worse. R.I.P. Aretha Franklin. Such a sad day today. It is. It really is. August 16th, she's dead. Elvis is dead. Babe Ruth died on this day. So many more people have also been dead for a long time. Do we have to be sad when somebody in their 70s dies? I mean, if I know him, I'm going to be sad, duh. And my grandma dies, grandpa dies. You're sad no matter what if you know the person. Right. Aretha Franklin dying at 76 makes me think, wow, she lived a damn good life. For a musician? That's living way past your expected time. No doubt. I mean, how old was Elvis? 51? 41? He died on a toilet seat. Is that true? Yes, that makes him awesome. Okay, so we're not sad about Elvis. Did Babe Ruth die in a toilet seat? I mean, it's pretty likely he was around a toilet when he passed away. You always hear hot dogs and beer, Babe Ruth. He looked like death when he died. I mean, he looked older than Aretha Franklin, and he was 25 at least years younger than her. He looked like death when he played. What are you talking about? He That's looked like point. he was two two seconds away from death constantly. R.I.P. Sultan of SWAT. <sighs> so sad. R.I.P. Queen of Salt. I can't even talk about it anymore, man. R.I.P king of rock and roll people are going to keep dying okay someone dies every day times a billion I get being sad for Aretha I do, you loved her music, she was great she meant a lot, especially to the African American community I get that but August 16th, oh what a day oh it's terrible, oh my god a lot of famous people die every different day. And just because tomorrow's August 17th doesn't mean that you're all safe and they're all safe. No, it doesn't. Up next, Steelers pregame with the very much alive Mike Brasuda, Bob Labriola, and Jerry Dulek